push the button. Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Awesome. Okay. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. I'm Ari McGee. Before we get into it, let me introduce our stellar panel. Not sure how to describe them because I was insulted last week for my use of the word cognoscenti. And so I will not ever do that again and be clowned on national podcasting. So first off, uh, down here at the bottom, which means nothing to you as you listen, my man, Jim Heskett. Hello. Welcome. He's feeling a little pip pip cheerio today. And I like that. I like the way that sounds. <laughs> Next, we've got pip pip Middleton. <laughs> God, I'm richer than I thought I was. <laughs> I call you Middleton. <laughs> we start talking British and I, okay, let me try that again. I'm pretty sure you're Pippa Warner. All right. It's true. It's true. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry for calling you uh, whatever she is now, some kind of duchess by relation or something. I feel like right? people are going to, you know, hear that there was a name drop and come on and see and be like, oh, that. It's just a random ass Pippa. No one, no one cares about this Pippa. That's the pun, Pippa. <laughs> Call you Pippa Middleton. Where did that come from? <laughs> I start talking like Mrs. Doubtfire and I get everyone confused. Uh, and last but not least, Nick Sacker. That's it. Huh? That's all that <laughs> circumstance for everyone else. And I'm. Uh, well, I was going to mention that you've got a real uh, something about Mary haircut vibe going on right now. What's going on there. But I don't think anyone will see that. And so it'll be this lost. One of the few times of the week I actually see myself. So, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 as most vampires, I dodge mirrors. You know, I try not to. Is that a trope? I don't know. I don't write vampire fiction. Maybe you can. Maybe you can in very small doses in something called Kindle Vela, which we will get into as our first story. Take it away, Nick. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I was the saddest little whimper of a news. <laughs> and then I, I tested it and paused it right at the end and thought, okay, it's working. And then it just played from the end again. <laughs> I think, you know, if it actually works well, then we're doing something wrong. <laughs> I agree. I will assume that we're pod people if we ever get it right one week. So, Okay. First story this week, we are going to talk about the aforementioned Kindle Vela. It's a brand new way to, brand new system to upload your books to. And uh, so I'm reading from, what am I reading from? Publishers Weekly. And it says, uh, quote, Andal is Amazon, Andal, Indal. Amazon is launching Kindle Vela, a new KDP self-publishing format aimed at mobile readers that will allow authors to publish short serialized fiction that can be read on smartphones and mobile devices by using the Kindle iOS app. Uh, the service will begin accepting submissions today, which was a couple of days ago, which means nothing in podcast time, and uh, for publication sometime in the next few months. So I have a couple of questions about this. Okay, first off, Let's talk about what exactly it is and what they're trying to accomplish. And then the next part will be what can we use this to our benefit as, as authors? So uh, I think 
Pippa's probably the smartest one out of all of us. So uh, what do you think this thing is and what's going on? Well, I think they're trying to run Radish out of business. Um, and just the Radish and the Radish clones have popped up in increasing numbers. I don't know about anyone else, but I go on Facebook and it's uh, large, large uh, numbers of ads for various serialized fiction apps uh, showing up. Uh, but yeah, I think Amazon's trying to get in on that. And, uh, I, I have it on fairly good authority from someone that they talked to. They were trying to get her to put some of her work in Vela, uh, get her to write new work. They've been very explicit that they don't want you to chop up old work. Um, and it seemed like they had not thought this out very well. Because she was saying things like, well, people are absolutely going to yank old work, change some names, chop it up, and put it in Kindle Vela. And they were like, you think? She's like, yeah, and it's going to be overrun with erotica within like two months. And they were like, really? She's like, have you ever published books before? <laughs> ever? <laughs> There's <laughs> a life cycle. <laughs> There's a life cycle to this. This is how it starts. Um. So I, I'm interested to see what happens as things come out. It does um, say non-exclusive though, right? So no, it's it can only be on Vela while it's on Vela. It can never have been published before, but you can at any time yank it off Vela and publish it as a book. Okay. So um, okay. So are you saying that comment on Publishers Weekly, it says their terms and conditions say Amazon has non-exclusive rights to publish the stories we submit. But maybe that means mm, that's incorrect. Yeah. Okay. Is it I was gonna say this is a comment on a on a uh, news article. So I you know, the the trust is breaking down the deeper I go into the comment. <laughs> uh, I just was curious. I, I didn't because that's that's what Jim is saying and what you guys are saying is exactly what I heard was that is it was mm -hmm. exclusive. Yeah. You can't publish it anywhere else. And what's what I'm curious about is a few weeks ago people had started noticing that when they were publishing on uh, KDP, they were seeing a fifty percent royalty option, so just the thirty and seventy. And this is coming in as a 50%. And I'm wondering if that's what that was or if that's still another thing that's going to drop. Because right. you don't publish the Vela stuff through the same right. yeah. dashboard. So people were seeing um, in their Kindle KDP dashboard, when you set the pricing, you could choose 35%, 70%, and then 50% sometimes. Uh, and we just thought it was like some weird glitch. I'm sure nobody, nobody checked that radio button. <laughs> I, would do. I could make 70, but I'd rather just I'd rather make 50. Mm. I really think Amazon needs some help. <laughs> um so okay, then the but then the comment underneath that one, uh it says I know, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just I'm a comment guy. I just love reading the comments. You get a real feel for people, you know. Let's see what Big Rig 34 has to say about this. <laughs> uh the, she says she, you can read about the in the KDP's help area. Um, I guess is that that's where Vela's stuff, um, their FAQ stuff lives. I don't know. Um, basically, you can't use stories you've already published. We knew that. Uh, or in newsletters, we knew that. But you can have it in another serial reading app. So that does sound like it's non-exclusive while it's in there. Just can't I just Amazon tried to publish. So here's another comment. If we're, if we're going down this rabbit hole, we're yeah, going no, down we're this gonna rabbit do the hole. Let's do um, it. I just tried to publish a web news. serial. This is Ariel Burns. <laughs> And I published it on my website. I was told I could not publish my content on Vela because it's published okay. elsewhere. They already found it. Interesting. Apparently. I, I mean, it they just are depends on, on their shit. It just depends on how good their bots are, you know, 
or yeah. um, how much you want to risk if you're going to try to publish something that's been published previously. They sound like all those literary magazines I used to submit two years ago, not just exclusive. Also, they want first publishing rights. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amazon could kill but Radish, like Peppa mentioned, or maybe even Wattpad if they wanted to. If they put enough marketing weight behind Vela, they could crush all those serialized competitors and own the, own the whole space. There's no way to pay for Wattpad, is there? Yeah, I think there's a paid tier now. I don't use Wattpad. I read that somewhere else. I think it was a Facebook, and obviously it was the comment section on Facebook. And it's a good time for them to strike because Radish just pissed everyone off about a month ago by changing their payout schedule. My point is Amazon could do all that. You know, like they could have, they could have really pushed uh, Amazon giveaways or Kindle Worlds or Kindle <laughs> Serials, or uh, remember uh, Amazon Book Clubs from a few months ago. Nobody's mm-hmm. talking about Amazon Book oh, Clubs yeah. anymore. That'll be gone in six months. Um, so if if they just throw Vela out there and let it make a little bit of money for a couple of years and don't put a whole lot of weight behind it, it'll go away like all those other things. Or they could completely own the serial space and kill everybody else if they wanted to. Yeah, it seems like they don't commit to a lot of their gambits these days. Well, you know, they just throw it out there, see if it works. Fail fast. I mean, the whole thing is Amazon's this giant testing platform. You know, it's like Facebook. Everyone goes there. They have all the data they need. And so, yeah, it makes sense. You know, you spend as little as possible to test an idea. If it has legs, it's going to take off because they have the traffic already, you know? So it's like they don't have to spend a bunch to advertise it and get it pushed out there because people are already coming to, to check it out. So, I, you know, I'm I'm actually interested to see if this can become um, a, a, a way to monetize short fiction because right now, there, I mean, there is a way, right? You, you upload it to stores and you try to sell it. But that's a different – I think I mentioned this on, on the show a couple weeks ago maybe. But it, to me, it just seems like people are – there's really two, largely two groups of readers that, that want to read books and then readers that enjoy short stories. And they're not always the same readership, right? There's people that, that like the old, you know, Ray Bradbury or, um, you know, the old sci-fi shorts and things like that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I'd really like to see uh, a marketplace um, like Wattpad, like Radish or something that, that Amazon is behind because like I said, they've got the traffic, they've got the data. Um so I, I'm curious. I'm I'm for it. I'm optimistic. Is, is I'll, I'll end it that I'll, I'm optimistic. Okay, and I'm before fair enough. Uh, I'm, before I'm mystic. can you be mystic? <laughs> I'm mystic. You have a I'm ambivalent crystal ball and everything. Um, okay, so before I get onto the second question of this, are you guys is you can take it down at any time from Vela or is there, is there like a, a life cycle, like 90 days with, with uh, Kate? That's what I'm actually wondering. Right. I, I don't think I've noticed that part yet. I didn't know if you guys had, had caught that or not. Um, I haven't, I've seen some see people looking through the TOS and generally the people that look through the TOS are not impressed with it. But generally, if you look through anything's terms of service, you're going to feel yeah. Freaked, I mean, so. as for context, as we're recording this, it's just been it's been less than twenty four hours since we first heard about Vela. So we're we're all still kind of pouring through the information and trying to make sense of it. And Amazon doesn't seem to have the whole picture yet either. Right, but on. we can still come up with wild theories. <laughs> That's <laughs> what we're here for. We the should. best theories. Okay. Well, we'll we'll circle back to that if and when we find out in the future. Uh, the second part is let's assume that this thing 
grows legs and it takes off. And let's assume it's not taking your firstborn in the TOS. What would you think it was best for, for authors? I mean, I've heard, you know, Pippa, you mentioned like you use it for your beta team and things like that. So I'm looking at for some ideas of what would I use Vellum for if everything was hunky dory with it? Well, I think it's it's great as an idea for just being like, okay, is this gripping people? Like, do people feel the compulsive need to turn the page? Because all of a sudden you have access. Amazon's always had the access to know when people stop reading your story. But now you have access to know exactly when people stop reading or if they keep reading. And that's mm-hmm. pretty good for live beta testing, which is almost certainly not what they wanted this to be. <laughs> RA, if you're asking about genres, I think probably YA, whatever works on Wattpad is going to work here. You know, Wattpad is YA and fan fiction. So you probably can't, you know, you can't actually publish fan fiction on Vela, but fan fiction adjacent things. Mm. Like Fifty Shades of Green. <laughs> <laughs> about a hunky painter who's working in the summer. Okay. Only KDP representative. <laughs> Right on. All right. Interesting. Well, we will track this as it goes along and we'll see uh, what we can come up with. And uh, we'll see if this Vela business stands the test of time and if it just falls off to the wayside like a lot of stuff does. So the next question, the next story that I've got here is uh, this is kind of a a weird thing. It's just kind of a little different. It's, uh, you know, John Lacare died a little while back and he was the, you know, Tinker, Taylor, soldier, spy guy, as, amongst other things. And there's an article that we have here from uh, The Guardian. I guess it's a UK newspaper. And ours is not the UK anymore because of Brexit. It's an English newspaper? I don't know. Anyway, it's still the UK. Is it the UK? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because it still has Northern Ireland and Wales and mm-hmm. Scotland. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, Let's see. So anyways, the point of this is that uh, the the son of John Le Carre, uh, who's actually David Cornwell is his real name, which is much less sexy. Uh, he's saying that his mother was actually a big time collaborator with his father on the books and that his father never really wrote any books that his mother didn't help with, didn't help give him ideas, didn't help edit. You know, she was a quote, a deep part uh, a deep process of collaboration uh, between the two of them. And so that kind of got me thinking, you know, I'm pretty fortunate that my wife is, uh, she pretends to be interested in my books very well. And, uh, you know, she reads them all and gives me plenty of feedback about them. And uh, it's, it's nice. And I know some people don't have the same, uh, the same kind of a uh, relationship with their spouse or partner or whatever. And I'm wondering what, what, what role do your guys's, uh, uh, spouses play in your creative process do they read it do they not read it do they give you ideas uh what do you think about that how about nick's got some big spouse news this week so why don't we go to you first uh well yeah my um my wife is probably listening from the other side of the door so uh, i'll have to temper what i say with mm-hmm. that in mind but no um she she read the early stuff that i was writing because i think it early on, you know, in my, it wasn't even a, I'm quoting, you know, career here. It wasn't even a career at the time. It was like, oh, I'm going to write a book. And she was like, that's cute. I'm going to read it. And I was like, oh, you're going to read it. And she read it. And she was like, Hey, this is pretty good. You're cute. If I had a magnet big enough, I'd put it on the fridge. Uh, and that was kind of the, you know, and, and I know, I mean, she's, she, she loved it and said it was great, but she's not really involved at all with, with the writing process um, for me now. Um, 
I would love for her to to do something if she wanted to, but um, it's not something that's, that she's interested in. So it's never been a subject we've really broached much. But um, yeah, I mean, she's got her own career going on, right? And so it's more like she, I, I'm not going to go and like do her job for her and help her with her with her stuff. Um, she's there for the moral support of my career, <laughs> which typically is um, is telling me everything's going to be okay and we're not all going to die uh, paupers on the street. And I argue with her and I say, yes, we will. And, you know, how do you know that? And, uh, and she says, no, we're not. And that's pretty much it. Just back and forth all, all day long. Jim's, Jim's chuckling there. I think he. Uh, <laughs> just that role playing of the conversation was excellent. I was I was into it. It's it's yeah, obviously happened many times. It's obviously happened many times, that conversation. It's, it's, it's how I write dialogue and all my characters as well. Shades of cardboard, versions of Nick. Right on. What about you, Jim? Well, mine is about 15 books behind, so there's no active collaboration going on there. Mm-hmm. But what what I took from this article was that it was a, was a really romantic picture of their relationship and a romantic picture of collaboration, that it was it, it kind of made me nostalgic for something that's never happened to me. That it, well, because, hey, you know, writing is like stuff a... Right now, Jim. <clears throat> well, I'm saying that normally <laughs> writing is a... Normally, it's a very solitary experience, you know? It's just most of it happens in a void. It's just you and then... So it's just you and your brain. uh, Jim dictating and Nick uh, typing it in and looking lovingly over his shoulder at Jim. (laughs) How how did you know? (laughs) That's how we do it. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, collaborating with another author does ease some of this soul-wrenching panic of uh, writing a little bit. But it adds different kinds of soul-wrenching panic to the process. So Mm. it's Someone seeing your drafts before they're done. (laughs) That's one of the things. The idea of just like speaking unvarnished words into the air and having my spouse be the person that's doing the first polishing of the disastrous draft. Yeah. It's just like, oh. What if, uh, you know, (laughs) what if your spouse was close enough that you could actually dictate in the car while she's in 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 the seat next to you? That would be next level. Yeah. That would be (laughs) be terrifying. Yes. It sounds like uh, uh, your wife might have some experience with that, Nick. Uh, no, I'm just, that's like my nightmare. That's what the <laughs> Yeah, it's like, the, you know, you got to maintain some mystery in a marriage. Don't don't use the bathroom in front of each other. Don't let each other see your first drafts. Mm-hmm. Don't. Yeah, there's got to be some mystery. Same levels. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Well, I think you, I think you kind of hit it on the head, Jim. You know, I did, I find it was kind of romantic to think about, you know, them working together and, uh, you know, it is a pretty solitary process. So that's, it's kind of nice when you have someone, you know, you hear a lot of horror stories about, you know, my my husband thinks my writing is a joke or my wife, you know, thinks I'm going to fail and all this stuff. And so it's nice to see the complete opposite of that, you know, <laughs> from this. So, yeah, that's awful. That's no, awful. I, I'd say uh, on our end, there was definitely a much more um, like I, I published my first book and Bryce made sure that he had the the first paperback copy and it arrived on the day of, and he got champagne and he got flowers. And then mm. the next book, he got champagne and he got flowers and a copy. And then I started putting out books like every two months. It's like, <laughs> how often are we going to fucking do this? <laughs> Can one couple drink? <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I love it. I love it. Well, good times, good times. Well, that's an interesting article we'll have in the show notes. If anyone wants to read that, uh, the next story is kind of a kind of an interesting one. What I would like to do is uh, come back to this every once in a while and uh, just kind of dissect 
what we're going to go through here uh, shortly. And it's uh, from uh, Mr. Hugh Howey. You know, if you guys are familiar with Hugh Howey, any listeners, you know, he wrote, uh, he self-published the Wool series. Um, and I uh, was one of the first big indie hits uh, on KDP. Uh, there was a bunch of other ones as well, but he was, you know, one of those big guys that blew up, you know, uh, in the atmosphere. It's just crazy, crazy. And then I think he traditionally published it after that. I, I might be wrong. I don't got really a know. a print-only deal. Okay, a print-only deal, uh, which sounds pretty awesome. Uh, right. If you could ever, you could ever swing. Grail. <laughs> if you could ever swing that. Um, and so, you know, he, to the best of my knowledge, kind of is on a sailboat most of the time, floating around the world, living his best life. Yeah. Uh, but there are, he has a, he used to have a pretty prolific blog. And so this one is a couple of years old, but it's, uh, it's like 39 or 40 tips on how to become a writer. And so what I want to do is take a couple of these tips every once in a while and set aside the fact that, you know, his success is a mixture of, you know, talent and hard work and like lightning kind of striking at the right place and all those things. See how much of it is still actionable for us and the listeners as we're kind of moving forward. So let me let me throw a couple of these out at you guys. All right. The first insight is that anyone can become a successful writer. The only person who can stop you is you. Right. I think that's probably pretty pretty reasonable still, right? Like you got to sit down and write. Um, Something that I think the second insight I think is kind of interesting, right? Because we find, I hear from, you know, people who are struggling to kind of get going that they feel like what they're writing is awful. And his second insight is that you can't compare your rough draft to any of the books you read. Is that something you guys had a problem with when you were first starting or, uh, or what reading? It was something I read just now as I opened the article and went, Oh, so. <laughs> oh, I'm not too bright. I don't know what to say. <laughs> no wonder I, I feel so idea. awful about my work. Um, I yeah, I got plenty of hangups, but this this one wasn't one of them. I I don't think I've ever really approached my writing as this as precious or you know this is the best thing ever. Um, it's, I think that's that's been it's good and bad. You know, I tend to to suffer more from imposter syndrome than other people, but. Um, this one wasn't, wasn't a huge one for me. You know, when I first started writing, it was, it was never going to be anything more than just see if I could finish a whole book. So I, I did not have quality in mind. I did not have, you know, structure in mind. It was just get it done, write the book. So then when I finished it, I was like, sweet, next thing, next project, what's next, you know? And, and it was never really about holding it up next to other, you know, quote unquote, real books out in the world. So, well, do you think, do you think that, um, any of your early imposter syndrome, because for me, my imposter syndrome has taken various, uh, it's worn various hats over the over the years. But do you think any of the early ones was looking at what you read and then picking up a real a real book that was out there in the world? I say real with quotation marks, and just thinking like, like how, how is this? How am I even trying to be the same? the same craft as these people, you know, or no? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, actually, no, it's kind of the opposite. I mm-hmm. didn't really understand what made a book good. Mm. Um, I would read something and really enjoy it. Now I'm in the action adventure thriller world, right? Where it's a little bit more plot heavy rather than character driven um, in some sense. And that's a very overgeneralization um, overgeneralized way of saying it, but that's, that's more true. And so I would pick up on these plot things and think that's what makes these books good. And so then I would write a book that's all plot and has zero character development or anything like that. And, 
and then hold it up and go, well, see, this my book is just as good because it does the plot things. Totally missing the point that those books that I think were really good, those real books, um, and these were traditionally published, you know, Clive Cussler, James Rollins, Matt Riley, whatever, um, that was I was reading at the time. I thought mine were just as good because I had plots. I had like bullets that could curve and like fun scientific things. That was all I thought these books were. And so nowadays I'm a little bit more nuanced, I, I hope. Um, and I know that my stuff needs a lot more work. So no, I'm not going to hold my, my rough draft up and think it's, it's good now. Um, mm. Back in the day, I, I think I don't think I knew better mm. for what it comes down to. Yeah, I always say the older I get, the more that I know and the less confident I am about any of it. When I was a new writer, I used to I used to get scene level panic where I would I would start writing a scene and then I would think, you know, okay, well this scene, my hero who I know and I can write and is fine, is going to be interrogated by a cop or an FBI agent. And then I would start to panic thinking, I don't know how a cop talks. I don't know how an FBI agent talks. How can I pull this off? People are gonna know that this isn't real. And then at a certain point you realize that you just write it you just in your first draft you just write whatever stereotypical cop stuff comes out of your mouth and then you go fix it later and it's okay if it's not fine and that that kind of scene anxiety it doesn't exist anymore because i feel like i can write i can write anything and it'll be crap but i uh, nobody's gonna see it uh especially not my wife and then i can always go back and fix it later um there was this this reminds me of there's this facebook post i saw the other day I'm going to paraphrase this. I'll probably butcher it, but it was it was a, a class was trying to make uh, the perfect piece of artwork, and the teacher had divided the students into two halves, and one half was able to spend all semester working on this one piece of artwork. So they could this team they spent all semester long working on this one thing to make it perfect, and then the other half of the class was required to turn in a new copy every day. So they had to work on it every day, and then by the end of the semester the team that had been pr producing artwork every day made a piece that was way better than the team that spent all semester working on one piece of artwork. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I, I think I heard, I think I read something similar to that and it was a uh, reference to photography. Yeah. Maybe I butchered it. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm agreeing. I'm definitely agreeing with you. It was like they could, they had to take pictures all, all semester long and someone had to just take a perfect one and the repetitious ones way better than the, the perfect, perfect Charlie's or I don't know what I was trying to say there, but yeah, I spent, sense. I spent two and a half years writing my first book. I should have spent three months and then chunked it in the drawer where it was going to end up anyway and gone on to the next thing. I dig that, man. I dig that. Okay. And now the last, the last of his insights that I want to look at this week, uh, is that there are no special qualifications to be a writer. And now that's something that I can, uh, understand where he's coming from because before I ever wrote a book, it was like, uh, people were on this pedestal, you know? And I assumed that they all had like MA MFAs or they were all these like brilliant human beings that were writing. And, uh, I've been disabused of that, uh, after, <laughs> after meeting enough, uh, enough authors. So <laughs> did you guys think that it was a special club that you had to try to gain admittance to or what? I was in a critique group with someone who had an MFA and I was so impressed at first. And then after I saw her writing, I was like, Oh, that was a big waste of money. And I realized, uh, I never had to be jealous of an, never had to be jealous of an MFA again. Uh, yeah, there's, there's still a certain amount of, uh, like there are certain people that just have that name recognition. He references Orson Scott card or Lois McMaster Buhold or, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin and just those people that everyone's going to know. But 
I don't think I ever thought that you needed specific qualifications. Mm. Um, other than maybe like legal thrillers or something like that, where you've got, what was it? The Pelican brief. And they're going into like some arcane little bit of knowledge. Like, well, I would never have known that that was there as a plot point. Mm. To yeah. Explore. Grisham, he was a trial lawyer, I think for London. Yeah. Grisham was you know, Creighton was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It helps. But I think that kind of stuff also, that's why I, I, I always feel like I'm bashing on Clancy, but like, you know, he was brilliant, but like it was too much sometimes, you know? Um, now, and it's kind of funny cause he wasn't, I don't, I don't think he was military. Um, I think he just wrote so deeply in, in, into that world that, um, like I, th- I think one point there's a story, probably apocryphal, the government was coming by, like asking him how he knew some of the stuff that he was writing. Um, and it's like, that's really cool. Like conceptually, that's really great, but it almost is a turnoff for me because it, it gets too far like, into the minutia and I, I get lost. Right. I kind of feel like that was a whole era of military thrillers though where they were just deep deep on all of the details and it was like that they were attracting readers that were just like yeah i want to know exactly how the president's car works and how thick the windows are like yeah (laughs) machine porn yeah (laughs) okay cool (laughs) yeah and that's kind of a roundabout way of saying like no i i think because of that um again i was pretty limited in my reading i mean I was forced, I loved to read as a kid and then I was forced to read in school. And so I kind of hated it. Um, and then I, I discovered, and this is going to sound crazy, but I like rediscovered my love for reading when I read the Da Vinci code and that opened up a whole, a whole world, but that world was still very narrow. It was just books in that vein. Right. And so, um, reading the Da Vinci code, reading that kind of stuff, like, you know, I was like, well, yeah, I, I could probably do that because th- these guys aren't really going really deeply into one thing. They're taking these, fictionalized ideas and all these different realms and sort of gluing them together in, in a way that makes sense. And if you do it well, um, it, the reader's going to like it. And so for me, it wasn't about having the, the, the background knowledge. It wasn't about being a good writer or a trained writer or anything like that. It was about, can I successfully weave this fabric of different ideas together in a way that is sellable? Um, and that was it. That was the whole goal. That's actually still my goal. That's really all I, all I want to do. I want to find a piece of science or a piece of technology or history um, like for right, my current work in progress is about, uh, in, in some sense, it's like Alexander the Great and we lost his tomb after he died. But that's perfect. That's great. That's, that's, I can put it wherever I want. I'm a fiction writer, you know? I just have to make that make sense, you know? And that was like so, so for me. Clive you know, Cussler and the, the Amazon Mayan calendar stored in Antarctica or something. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's sort of yeah, like, take all these eclectic pieces of history that, you know, the anti Kythera mechanism or whatever and yeah. toss it somewhere else and, I don't know the the capstone at the pyramid of Giza is laying there too at the bottom of the, I don't know. All that stuff is, is plausible in my, um, in my genre. So for me, that's the the background I think is being able to take, uh, it's really just a research role. It's being able to research stuff and say, how can I connect this to this and kind of make it make sense, you know, with a little bit of suspension and disbelief, but not a whole lot. Right on, man. That all sounds good. That all sounds good. Okay. The last story uh, this week's not really a story. It's just a question. I have a genuine curiosity for you guys. Uh, what is the last good book that you read? Not the last book that you read that sucked that you wouldn't recommend to anyone. But if you had to give one book that you've read recently, not your favorite book that you read five years ago or anything, the last good recent book that you read, what was it and what made it good? 
Jeez, already you put so many qualifications on our pick. Uh, yeah, because I don't want you to go, oh, man, freaking uh, the Da Vinci Code when I read in 03 was awesome. No, because that's what Nick will do, and I'm trying to stop him from doing that. What, well, oh, what makes you think I've read more than one book since then? Fair, fair point. I'm hoping, or it'll be a bad segment. I just <laughs> finished reading Dune for the first time. Ooh, oh, did you like it? It was good. I mean, parts of it kind of felt like, you know, it's nerd homework, so I had to read it. Parts of it felt like a slog, but overall, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I started Dune, I think, four or five times and then had to read it for a college class, and I'd never gotten more than a couple chapters into it. And now it is one of my favorite books. But if never I hadn't read been pushed to, to finish it, I probably wouldn't have. It's very, very dense with vernacular, so it's hard. It's got a steep learning curve, but if you stick with it, it makes a lot more sense after a few chapters. Has good payoff, but don't go too far into the series. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stop. Not worth it. Uh, For me, it was uh, a memory called Empire, which um, is, oh, it is so good. It is a sci-fi epic about um, an ambassador from uh, a space station that's on the edge of this intergalactic empire and might or might not get absorbed. And uh, she has the uh, sort of the they're called imagos but the memory of the last empire in her head except it's 15 years out of date so something has gone horribly wrong and she's showing up in this capital to be like okay what's what's going on and she's got this 15 year out of date voice in her head being like i don't know but i was kind of a seditious bastard so like it was probably big (laughs) i did something (laughs) it's it's an incredibly good book what was that called again? What was the name of it? A Memory Called Empire. A Memory uh, Called Empire. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, I'm, I'll put it in the chat. Awesome. Awesome. Mr. Nick, what do you got for me, man? Uh, so I'm <clears throat> currently in book, the most recent book, book four in the Bobaverse series. The first one, though, is the one I'm talking about. Um, it's called We Are Legion. Uh, and it is incredible. It's science fiction. It's hard science fiction in some sense, but uh, it's hilarious science fiction. Um, and the, the whole idea is this in modern times, this, uh, the main character, Bob Johansson has sold the software company and he's basically just going to retire. And then he gets hit by a car and dies. Um, and so that's like the first chapter, right? So it's not really a spoiler. Um, and so he wakes up a hundred years later and he, he finds out that corpsicles have no rights, but his brain has been kept alive. So he's now owned by the state and they want to launch him on a rocket. He's basically an AI now, right? He's still himself. His brain is, you know, an AI. Um, and he's going to become um, a Van Newman, a Von Newman probe, right? A self-replicating probe to go out and just explore the galaxy and all that. And so he comes across like alien planets and like is trying to build. And he's got thousands of copies of himself by the end of the you know the book. So he's like got all these different like generations of Bobs. Um, and so it's just about him hanging out with his other Bobs, and uh, and they start to. Their, their personalities start to kind of diverge a little bit after a few generations. So it's not just the same person the whole time. It's, it's really funny. It's all written in first person, but from like Bob's perspective and then like another chapter will be Bill, who was like his second, the first person he replicated himself. Um, and then, yeah, it's okay. It's you have hilarious. to link to that in the comments. Cause it's I want to read it's that. A, it's really, really good. It's kind of a, a it's becoming like a cult thing. Like it, it's not very well known. I've, I'm finding out, but uh, Dennis E. Taylor is the author. Um, they're all good. I mean, I, I burned through the first three and then was a little bit miffed to find that he signed an audio exclusive deal with ACX for the fourth book. So it came out. We all make mistakes. Later. I know. I know. <laughs> all, 
and the people in the comments have reminded him of their hatred for that. Uh, but the the ebook version finally dropped in uh, January, and I'm, I'm just getting to it. Again, about a week ago, I started it, and it's just as good. Anyway, it's really it's really cool. It it does go fast because you know he's an AI, so he kind of works at the speed of light sort of deal. But there are humans that do come back into it. They have to escape Earth and stuff like that. So he builds them like a colony, and it's cool. I mean, it's just really uh, really really fun. So I highly recommend that one. I'll link to it. Awesome. Well, well those some. <laughs> yeah, those sound like three good recommendations. I appreciate that. And I can update my to-be-read list. So, good stuff, What guys. about you? What was the last good book you read, R.A.? Um, you know, the last good book that I read was uh, probably uh, the uh, uh, True Believer, Jack Carr's second book. Um, you know, it's not going to set any records for anything like uh, groundbreaking, like the Bob verse or anything. Um, but you know, for the stuff that I'm currently writing, which is like heavily, uh, you know, military and gun heavy and revenge and plots and schemes and assassinations, uh, it's good. It's good reading material. So, you know, and Jack Carr was a Navy SEAL, so he gets all the gun stuff right, even if he does go a little overboard into gun porn sometimes. Uh, but the tactics are good and everything's good. So that's uh, a fun read. It's, you know, it's a fun, easy read uh, for people who like guns and, uh, and vengeance. So, Oh, I do like both those things. Yes. They're, they're <laughs> two great tastes that taste great together, you know? So uh, yeah, so that's true believer by Jack Carr. Okay. Thank you for asking. Uh, the end of our show usually comes with me asking you guys, Uh, To tell me something good to get me through the next week and make me happy because I get sad with all this depressing stuff. So who had something good happen this week that they want to mention? You'll be the hero of the day. I had a I have a series I was going to write and I was not at all excited about it. But then it came up with a twist and now I'm excited about it again. Yay! Does that qualify? It does, man. It does. Because I know the feeling very, very well. So I'm glad for you, man. I'm glad for you. I got to write words. Yeah. And I'll be like, yeah. I get to write words. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did, did you come up with, here's my question though. And if it's a little too intrusive, feel free to tell me to buzz off. Okay. Okay. Did you come up with the twist while you were in the shower? Um, no, that, I mean, I'm, I'm not denying that that's ever happened. Sure. Okay. I have, I have some good thoughts in the shower in between my, you know, wrapping the beastie boys. Um, yeah. But no, I was at my desk and I was like, this series is too complicated. I need to simplify it. And then I came with some ideas to merge some subplots and merge some characters. And then it seemed fun again. Mm, Right on. Because all my good ideas come to me while I'm either walking or in the shower. Without a doubt. So if I'm stuck, sometimes I just go shower. And (laughs) and my wife's like, this is your fifth shower today. And I'm like, just leave me alone. All right. I'm trying to figure this thing out. Don't interfere with my process. (laughs) This is how I make it work. (laughs) All right, guys, anybody got any uh, mulligans or alibis they want to give about any of the other stories? No, everybody good. No staircase wit. All right. Awesome. Well, seeing as there is nothing to bring up, thanks for listening to author news weekly. I'm R.A. McGee. Uh, saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>